Before the start of the episode, we would like to give a shout out to the editorial team at Feedspot.com, which selected our show as one of the top 20 evolution podcasts to follow, coming in at number five. Welcome back to Origins and Evolution. Recently in late June, an exciting new report on UAPs has come out. Can you both please fill us in on what these findings were? Yes, it is uh, exciting to talk about unidentified phenomena, and UAP stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. It's uh, the new uh, terminology used uh, by the U.S. government uh, in place of UFOs, which is Unidentified uh, Flying Objects. Um, part of that is probably because... Um, a small fraction, maybe a fraction of those phenomena or observations relate indeed to phenomena, not to objects. Uh, part of it is uh, um, because some of them might relate to artifacts of the instruments which were used. <laughs> that happens sometimes. Uh, and then they're not objects and they're not flying either. But generally speaking, we're talking about the same thing. Uh, is it possible to... Um, identify uh, the source and the nature of these reports over the years and what is the possibility that some of them may relate to um, uh, extraterrestrial uh, technology. I think it's actually curious. Uh, the Finally, the U.S. government has now formalized a reporting to where the social stigma and and the re potential loss of reputation of any pilot who says well i think i've seen a uap in the past that could have been that you know exposed them to be ridiculed by their colleagues but now they're encouraged to report it and it won't hurt their career or reputation i think that's a very important element um here it, it is very encouraging that the u.s government now has a formalized reporting uh, approach and it encourages it and that they're also disclosing. Of course, they're not going to disclose the most secret information that may, you know, poten help potential adversaries or reveal their intelligence collection capabilities. So this is still heavily filtered. And I very much applaud the approaches and, and writings, for instance, by Avi Loeb and others in Scientific American to say, look, scientists should now be taking over and taking a very open-minded look through the telescope. You know, that's what from the good old Galileo days when many philosophers said, we're not even going to look through your telescope because we already know that, you know, the, the sun's, sun's, you know, that the Earth is at the center of, of the of the universe, and so therefore we're not going to look through the telescope. Nobody is suggesting, yes, there must be aliens uh, harassing our Navy flyers or installations, but they're, they're taking a very agnostic look and proposing to turn this into a scientific inquiry. I think the timing is right for that. What do you think, That's Dimitar? That's right. And in astronomy, uh, we have the telescopes. Um, in fact, the last few years have seen for the first time uh, the discovery of not one, but two interstellar visitors. Uh, the first one of them uh, has a name, um, Oumuamua. And uh, our listeners might have heard about it, uh, but that was a very interesting object, which passed, object which passed through the... Um, the inner solar system, unfortunately not too close to the Earth for us to observe it in detail, but still good enough for us to determine its orbit very well. 
and to also be able to follow it with some of our existing telescopes, uh, which showed that it's not a comet-like um, uh, in its nature, and it didn't look very much uh, like the normal pieces of rock, which we call asteroids. Uh, so Muumuu is a mystery, uh, and we'll um, probably discuss it in more detail in the future. I'm very intrigued by Oumuamua, and, and in fact there's a book about it called Extraterrestrial that, uh, of course, um, Dimitar and I have all read and that we strongly recommend to our audience who are interested in that. Again, it doesn't suggest that there is necessarily overwhelming or conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial technological civilization But there is some evidence uh, Oumuamua did accelerate away from Earth after we finally noticed it, and it did not have the usual gaseous signatures that you would have from an icy comet that would, you know, maybe the sun would burn off some water ice or maybe methane ice, I don't know, and and therefore could accelerate. So what was it? it? It really is unexplained. And both the, all the natural theories of what it could have been, as well as the potential not, not to be excluded, unnatural technological explanations just have to be pursued equally by the scientific community without a philosophical bias. Oh, it can't be extraterrestrial technology or it must be naturally explained um, we have to be open-minded as a scientific community, and we not only have to look through the telescopes when they're there, but we also have to look through new telescopes. Maybe you could tell us a little and bit so, about the new telescopes that yes. are coming online so to do that. The big question then is, what do we do about it? And uh, uh, there is a lot we can do about it. Uh, the big question is, how can we better target our search for alien life? Uh, we already discussed in this podcast how uh, the astronomy community is already gearing up to look for microbial alien life in atmospheric geochemical signatures on exoplanets. Uh, that is certainly um, uh, getting a lot of uh, uh, funding and a lot of uh, momentum as we speak and getting ready for the launch of the JWST space telescope. But then there is the question, what about interstellar visitors and artifacts that may be uh, available already uh, uh, to us through our surveys? And yes, uh, the astronomy community does have the telescopes. The big question here is, what do we do about all of this? And uh, we can rephrase the question, how can we, we being humanity, better target our search for alien life. We already talked in this podcast about the astronomy community new uh, momentum in the search for microbial alien life on exoplanets. We know that uh, uh, humanity has been searching for alien life in the solar system. There is an ongoing effort right now on the surface of Mars, and there is uh, serious planning for searches on Europa and Enceladus. So uh, the question is, how do we add um, to that the dimension of technological artifacts, technological visitors, um, 
in other words, the old uh, search for uh, SETI or uh, search for extraterrestrial civilizations. So uh, there are many ways in which our uh, astronomical and I would say general sensory uh, array for surveys have improved. Uh, we are able now to survey most of the sky most of the time. Uh, Oumuamua itself uh, was the product of a new survey uh, that was largely um, funded by the U.S. government to search for killer asteroids. And it uh, also, as a side product, provided a very valuable um, astronomical uh, database for all kind of phenomena that change on the sky, including uh, a lot of comet discoveries. And I would say, very importantly, the discovery of Oumuamua, the first interstellar, confirmed interstellar uh, visitor. Um, so That's a pretty big deal. I had actually not realized until recently that everything we had observed so far in terms of comets and asteroids was all from our solar system, from the asteroid belt or even further out. And this was really the very first interstellar visitor, yeah, visitor if, uh, from within our galaxy, yeah, absolutely. obviously. In it's, fact, it's really um, amazing. there is a story from my childhood or uh, early years uh, when I was very interested in comets. In fact, my first high school excitement with my first small telescope was uh, to follow the orbit of a small comet that uh, is from our solar system as just was visiting our sky at the time. So I was very excited at the time, I remember, to learn about different orbits, ellipses, which are bound to the sun, versus parabola and hyperbole, hyperbole which are not bound. And at the time, with the very uh, small telescopes and not so good equipment, there was a small group of comets that were believed to be on hyperbolic or parabolic orbits. And so uh, those were believed to be orb uh, comets that were interstellar visitors. So as a kid, I was very excited about that. And I have to tell you, I was very disappointed uh, when I became a professional uh, because uh, people, mostly at JPL, with improved uh, solutions for the solar system dynamics, redid the analysis of those old data for those parabolic and hyperbolic comets and found them to be extremely extended ellipses. So in other words, they were kind of parabolic, but not really if you did the solution carefully with respect to the perturbations from all the different planets and give you... So it was suddenly my childhood excitement about having interstellar visitors was crushed. So Oumuamua was really, uh, and is really, the first confirmed interstellar visitor. And it, it, it is a way to understand that our equipment and our ability to both detect and study the orbits of uh, small objects in the solar system has improved immensely in the last 20, 30 years. And we need to improve it further. We caught Oumuamua actually sort of when it was exiting our solar system again. We, we Fortunately, we noticed Oumuamua, but somewhat late. Uh, we then observed it and saw that it was a foot, football field-sized object uh, tumbling every eight hours and accelerating away from the sun, which is really has many, many unexplained aspects. 
in any case, detecting these objects much earlier and then perhaps even intersecting them with a small satellite or by having our cameras and other radio frequency and, and, and other infrared and so on detectors on them much, much longer, I think is something that we're all advocating. And, and again, Avi Loeb, who's written the book Extraterrestrial, is advocating very strongly, although there is some resistance in the science community for looking at any type of non-natural technological explanations. And there really shouldn't be. We should just be agnostic as scientists and go where the data takes us and not be afraid through look through ancient Galileo's microscopes or, or, or new microscopes as, as they are coming online. One thing that I found curious as we maybe one more time just returning briefly to the unexplained aerial phenomena, as the Navy now calls them, or the UFOs, as we all like them. If you think about it, there are so many cameras at every gas station, at every bank and every supermarket. There are tens of millions of cameras. Everybody has a phone with a really good camera these days. Yet the number of UAP or UFO sightings I would have expected would go through the roof exponentially, but it actually hasn't. Uh, so for the 50s, 60s, it was very, very common. You had to have a camera with a film and all of that. You didn't have your cell phone, your smartphone. So how curious that the sightings in recent years have not come from these tens of millions of cameras out there or billions of cell phones that all could take pictures. So, uh, but mostly from Navy sightings, maybe the Navy detection systems just have some artifacts. But we need to find out. We need to take a serious look at it. I find it very curious that we don't have thousands or 10,000 more UFO or UAP sightings now that everybody has their camera ready because it's in their hand already because they were texting. Yes, that's a good point about the uh, abundance of cameras. But there is an interesting uh, uh, um, point here for our listeners that uh, escaped me for a while, but um, I kind of my career uh, bridged it. You know, when I started my um, career as a student in astronomy, uh, some observatories still used photographic plates. And that was the way in which uh, people, including the government, by the way, was serving the sky for moving objects. And I don't know if you've seen some of those old Kodak glass plates covered with emulsion, but they're huge. Uh, they're as big as a foot across, you know. Uh, so you could take a snapshot of a big chunk of the sky in just 15 minutes and then move to another chunk and then to another chunk. So when we first got the digital uh, detectors, everybody was very excited about them, but they were tiny. And they are still tiny compared to those old uh, photographic plates. So what happened, uh, although in a certain sense nobody talks about it, is suddenly our vision got uh, more like tunnel vision. We had great digital detectors, very sensitive, but we could only see small parts of the sky. So uh, this, for the first time, is going to be remedied in the astronomy community with a big new project, which is called the Legacy Survey of Space and Time. And as a whole, it is the Vera Rubin Observatory, which is in Chile, and it involves those, uh, not just new telescopes, but more importantly, new detectors. So those little digital detectors, which are in everybody's smartphone, 
are uh, spaced out on an array which resembles for the first time those old Kodak glass photographic plates, which can finally capture a large part of the sky and provide for us the sky, all the sky all the time, as we once wanted to do this. So we have an opportunity now to indeed uh, survey the sky for visitors. That's very exciting. The Vera Rubin Observatory on top of a mountain in northern Chile where it's extremely dry and uh, an excellent place for astronomy. And the Legacy Survey and Space Time LSST, if you want to Google that, you'll find that incredibly interesting. I think it can look at a third of the sky every other night, every, every night, which is really a dramatic field of view. This gives us also the opportunity to then look for UFOs or UAPs that are near Earth. I was looking and thinking about all the Starlink satellites that um, SpaceX and Elon Musk are launching, thousands, maybe eventually they go towards 10,000 or maybe even 30,000. But if we really wanted to scientifically think about alien technologies and assuming that the laws of physics are the same for potential extraterrestrial technological civilizations, but also the laws of reason and motivation and economics, if you like, are the same. So if they really were motivated to explore Earth, because we are a curious creature, we are a threat, perhaps they are a threat to us, it's just not knowable whether they'll be malevolent or benevolent observers. But how would they do it if we put ourselves into their chair or their spaceship well, they probably would have stealth, black, black, painted black, so it doesn't reflect the sunlight, stealth materials, which our armed forces finally have to evade radar. So they'd have black stealth microsatellites in polar orbits around Earth, observing us and maybe observing us for a very long time, picking up our signals and whatnot. So if there was such a thing, shouldn't we be looking for that? And the exciting thing that I've heard is that that Rubin Observatory could pop, probably even see these near-Earth orbit objects that maybe are 100 kilometers from the surface of the Earth and probably could see a one-meter object even if it was painted black. So that opens up a new UFO search capability for those of us who... I don't believe in aliens, but I do want to search for them. I think we should take an agnostic look. Is that true? Absolutely. The survey, the, the beauty of a survey is that you get all the data all the time, and then um, you have the sensitivity to see all of this. So uh, if somebody is interested in meteorites and meteors, they see that. If somebody is interested in exploding stars at the edge of the universe, they look at those. So the data is all there, and that was missing until now. Uh, Pan-STARRS is a good step in that direction, and it did discover Oumuamua. But uh, I want to point out, the second interstellar visitor, which was with us just less than two years ago, was discovered by a person. In fact, his name is Borisov, uh, the comet-like uh, um, object which uh, passed through the solar system is called Borisov. 
because it's named after the discoverer. So which tells you that there is still room for just going out and looking in the sky and discovering something new. But that also tells you that we were really not doing what we should have been doing as astronomers, observing the sky with high sensitivity all the time. And the Vera Rubin Observatory is going to change that. And we are going to discover a lot of new phenomena and hopefully a lot of new objects, particularly interstellar objects, coming in through our solar system. And um, I um, particularly am interested to see artifacts. Uh, that is, um, artifacts of potentially other civilizations, just like our own civilization has already created this kind of artifacts. Just think about the voyagers. All our exploration of the uh, outer solar system requires those uh, spacecraft to eventually leave the solar system. And in a short time, geologically speaking, there will be artifacts for others to find in the galaxy. And sooner or later, they will pass through solar systems around other stars. And then to those who might be living in those solar systems, our artifacts will be exactly that. They will look like uh, unusual objects, mysterious objects. And if they manage to capture them, of course, they will see the golden plate with our information on them. If not, they may have debates about what the Muamu is about. Well, to wrap things up for this ninth episode, um, it, that, it reminds me of uh, something probably my mother used to say, namely, listen before you speak. Um, and one thing that we haven't been all that good about, and I think the late Steve Hawking was concerned, is that we're, we're talking a lot. We, we've had RF radio frequency chatter for the last hundred years, and of course it's identifying, plus we have Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 that we're sending out there, but they are on, they're still sort of at the edge of our solar system, so they haven't gotten all that far at their speeds. But our radio frequency signals, they do travel at the speed of light, and I believe, Dimitar, correct me if I'm wrong, if there was an extraterrestrial, more advanced civilization they could probably pick that up in our corner of the galaxy, probably within, what do you think, 50 or 100 light years? They could conceivably eventually detect our radio frequency. Absolutely, yeah. There are two reasons why they would detect them. One of them is even our own technology is sensitive enough to do so. Number two, which is equally and maybe uh, more important, is our star, the sun, which is the brightest source of electromagnetic radiation in some wavelength, is actually quite uh, dim and quiet at those wavelengths for good reason. That's why it's easier for us to communicate despite during the day when the sun is up. So um, that makes it easier to detect. So in other words, at some frequencies, th those that we use to communicate and which escape uh, to the large uh, uh, beyond, uh, the sun is not the brightest spot, the brightest uh, dot uh, for an uh, outsider, for an alien, when they look at the solar system. And certainly, uh, civilization which is developed even as much as we are will be able to detect those and identify them as coming from the third planet and identify them as unnatural, um, not geochemical. 
So we have this romantic myth that any uh, more advanced civilization that has survived longer than our civilization so far, we've only had a civilization really for the last 10,000 years, although advanced human intelligence with Homo sapiens may have been around for 200,000 years, but most of that we spend in the not-so-technological Stone Ages. So we have, this, um, we have this notion that they must be benevolent and, and maybe look at us, will guide us someday and look at us as curious zoo animals. Uh, aren't they cute, those humans? But we really have no way of knowing. And, and, and indeed, they could be malevolent or they could be something that could be a competition. We just don't know. It's not knowable. Again, we should not have preconceived notions and be guided by our emotions. But we should probably keep the chatter down a little bit and listen and look more uh, and, and speak less, uh, even in radio frequency terms. So, so with those closing thoughts, we'll thank you all very much for listening in today. Thanks again for joining us on Origins and Evolution. Please look out for our next episode as we venture back to the moon for moon artifacts, and we discuss light sails as well. Mm-hmm.